welcome to the Going Deeper podcast with Shane Dwyer. Chance to break open things that lie at the heart of the Catholic faith. Each month, Shane will be in discussion with a different guest who is seeking to live out their Catholic faith today. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to our weekly podcast series on different aspects of living the Catholic Christian faith today. My name's Shane Dwyer and I'm your host throughout the series. And each month I'm joined by a different guest who will bring their thoughts and experience to our discussion. And this week, for the fourth time and uh, perhaps the final time for now, uh, we're joined by Bishop Tim Norton, the Auxiliary Bishop of Brisbane. And as always, we'll be discussing a little about our favourite passages of Scripture as they help us understand this faith that is so central to our lives. The topic we have in mind is living in hope. So welcome once again, Bishop Tim. Good to have you with us. And uh, one of the things you mentioned um, in a previous discussion is that you've trained as the spiritual director. Uh, I know you've done a variety of things in your ministry over the years. Um, How did that come about? Um, I'd been working in Mexico, principally Mexico City, um, after I took final vows and was ordained a priest. Um, But it was on a short-term assignment, which is quite unusual because I think I mentioned before that I'm the youngest Australian-born SVD by 10 years, Divine Wood Missionaries. So the province wanted me back to work in our formation house. Um, But I pleaded with them to allow me just some years away. And uh, that turned into uh, six years. Um, and coming back, uh, how do you? How does one prepare oneself to work in formation, initial formation? And so one of the courses of it was available to me was a course uh, in Melbourne at what was called the Heart of Life. So it was a spiritual director's course, uh, and that's probably the best course that I've ever done. It was very challenging, but it also gave me an opportunity to 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 debrief on the experiences of six years in Mexico City uh, in ways that were really helpful. So I I found that, as I said, probably one of the best preparations I've done then to move into um, formation work. Now, I wasn't a formation director in my seminary, the seminary I was working in, but I was for other people. Uh, And that's gone on through time. Uh, Through these last eight years in Italy, I was running retreats of six and eight days uh, silent retreats, so guided retreats with, with other spiritual directors, with our, our people who were there on their renewal courses. So I certainly did a lot of retreat work more recently. Mm. It's a beautiful ministry. It is isn't indeed. It? You know, you're yeah. sitting down with people um, as they're getting in touch yes. with uh, how it is that God works yeah. sort of in their lives yeah. and, uh, and the, um, the unexpected things. You know that come and come to mind for people yes. that they hadn't quite anticipated. Yes, it, it probably one of the areas of direction that um, I found particularly rewarding that I was um, almost always working with people who were not from my first culture, and uh, often with people. So I, I speak reasonably fluent Spanish, um, but I was often working with people who spoke neither English nor Spanish as their first language. And so they were doing their best to articulate their spiritual life in a language that was their second, third, fourth or fifth, mm. um, which I was <laughs> in awe of. But I was intrigued and just delighted by the way the Spirit would work anyway. Mm. Mm. It's one of those in- interesting things, isn't it? You know, the stories of, of, of dealing with people in, in languages where you're not necessarily in your first language either and neither are they. 
uh, and what can happen there. Yes. I remember <laughs> just a funny story just to get us started. There were, um, you know, uh, in Rome, and you got those basilicas and what have you. Yes. And, um, and, uh, and St. Mary Major was, was a favourite one of mine when I was doing my postgraduate studies over there. And, and, uh, and they've got the confessionals around the walls, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, the priest is in them and on the outside. And uh, so the penitent is sort of semi-exposed, you know, as they're kneeling down there. And anyway, one day I thought, look, a bit of, I used to go along there once a month, you know, and, um, and I saw the list of languages that the priest ostensibly spoke. Yes. And English was on the list. It was about three down. Mm. And I didn't like um, going to confession in Italian uh-huh. because I sort of felt like... Um, I felt slightly disengaged. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Because I was having yes. to translate in my head. So I thought, he speaks English. Well, it turns out he didn't really. Um, in fact, English shouldn't have been on his list. And the way that he coped with it was um, he kept asking me to repeat what I said, um, explain what I meant, and speak loudly. <laughs> so there I was, <laughs> shouting my sins at this, um, at this fellow who couldn't fully understand, but he was not going to give me absolution until he, <laughs> until he understood exactly what... It was wow. the, most, the most mortifying experience wow, of my life. Wow, yeah, um, yeah. With all the pilgrims going past. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the, the, uh, the joys of dealing in different languages. Indeed. But also the blessings... Well, anyway, fortunately today we can manage in English. So we're, um, and you've sent through to me uh, in preparation for this, the uh, reading here from the Acts of the Apostles, which uh, I'll read out and then you can let us know why um, we're looking at this one. So this is Acts of the Apostles 10, 34 to 39. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel? Preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Well, you go, Tim. I mean, that's... uh, you know, the Acts of the Apostles is, is, is one of those uh, books of the Bible that sort of features, you know, obviously a Pentecost, we're very familiar with it, uh, and then perhaps the conversion of Paul and, uh, and what, what, what happens there. But sometimes the other details of the Acts of the Apostles, can, you know, they, we, we can overlook them. Mm. So here's a very interesting passage here mm. from the preaching of Peter. What is it about this that, um, that draws your attention? Well, the very fact that Peter, and Peter was a very good and very faithful Jew, and just prior to this, he'd had that experience of being in a prayer trance and God had lowered a sheet with some animals on it and said, take up, take and eat. And he'd said in the in the dream, no, I can't do that because I'm a good Jew and I would ever, never eat anything that was um, unclean. And God has responded, don't tell me what's unclean and what's clean. And so Peter began to question his own... I guess, sense of himself, the ethnocentricity, like his connection with his cultural group. But that particular cultural group 
um, themselves believe them to be chosen, therefore better in the eyes of God. And Peter then gets to the point, because of that experience on the rooftop in the trance, he gets to the point where he can say um, that God shows no partiality, when in fact a good Jewish person would believe that's not true, that God does show partiality to the Jews. Um, so I'd, I'd, I find this a really hopeful um, passage because it, it's just pure conversion. Absolutely. So God, I believe myself to be in this way as a good follower of God. God has then questioned that and said, we might need to rethink this. Uh, and then that has opened Peter up to see the God present in all sorts of other spaces and places that he, because of his um, adherence to his ethnic group, uh, he'd never seen before. Mm. That, uh, you know, this opens up then the whole question, isn't it, of the, the way that, that God challenges our parameters um, about um, who God is and what God's wanting. Indeed. Um, but also raises the question: How do you know when God's doing that, and uh, and how do you know when to adhere to uh, you know to what you've always mm. um, you know the, the aspects of your faith and all that? It's it's a struggle. I don't know whether it's it's really one or the other. Um, there's often some both and in it. So I might have um, always understood my prayer life to be this and then someone's come along and said, oh, you can do this too or you can try that. No, no, I've always done it this way. Oh, we're on to do it that way. It doesn't matter. But then you think, well, maybe I'll try that other way um, and do that as well. There's, there's no reason not to. But sometimes we get so stuck in what we've been taught as the only way and then as time's gone on or we've actually moved from one part of the world to another where, no, we don't do that here. That's mm. not, yeah, we're Christians, but we don't do that here. That's, that's mm. certainly true. Or more interestingly still is um, I, I, when I was provincial, uh, elected provincial here in Australia, uh, one of the first things I did was to go and visit one of the older um, uh, Eastern European chaplains. We had a number of men from various Eastern European countries who were chaplains to those sets of migrants in Australia. Uh, and so I went to visit him. And he'd been 40 years in Australia. And uh, I was speaking with, um, after Mass, with a man in his 40s who was a relatively new migrant to Australia. And uh, he said to me, you know, we really love Father. I said, yeah, well, that's nice to know. That's uh, good to hear from you. He said, but the way he celebrates Mass, it's like he's frozen in time because we don't do that anymore back home. He's, he's, he's just kept it and he keeps it the same way. And we're still coming here to Mass with him because most of the younger people are going away because the, the newer people who come, that, that they don't recognise their own faith uh, practice in, in what was done 40, 50 years ago that Father still has here. And so they move on to other spaces. Mm -hmm. And I was intrigued by that, thinking, yeah, we, 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 can, be, um, we can think that we are so correct in what we're doing when in fact um, faith and faith practice is developing in all sorts of ways all around the world uh, and we, we do have a, an obligation to try and keep up with that too, mm -hmm. not to just freeze things in time and say it's always been like this, it will always be like this and the only right way to do it is like this. Mm. It's often the challenge, isn't it, you know, in the area of um, faith formation that I'm sort of engaged with, it's... Um, you got those two approaches, you know. The one of them is um, my role is to make sure 
that you understand these things in the way that I understand them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's an approach to teaching that's, yes. um, that, you know, historically we have called on okay. <laughs> quite strongly Indeed. as an approach. Um, and it, it's quite a, um, a personal revolution uh, to realise, in fact, no, my role is to uh, come to understand um, who you are and what your questions are mm. and together uh, find the answers mm. that, uh, that, that, that are going to... And express those things uh, in a way that uh, is going to make sense to you. Um, and doesn't that, you know, it's it's not about me and my preferences, but that's, you know, that can be easier said than done. Yeah. Know? Well, in Christian terms, we'd probably call that to some degree conversion, and conversion mm. is really easy. Mm. Um, but we pray for it all the time. In so many of our prayers in church, we we um, ask for that openness to conversion of heart mm. uh, and mind. Um, but when we actually <laughs> get faced with it, we're fairly reluctant, I yeah. think, to yeah. really be to yeah. be um, trying to deal with it. And sometimes it's not for sinister motives or something. Not sometimes it, yeah, people we, we we're operating at a real conviction about something, and it's mm. really important to us. Mm. And um, but I often think you you have had this experience too. You know, you're travelling the world, and you come across the um, often a you know, people from English-speaking, predominantly English-speaking countries, and, and they're, to- they're touring around, they're on the tour, you know, uh, and you'll get a certain type of English speaker who thinks anyone can understand what I'm saying as long as I say it loudly enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I will keep saying it, you know, where is the thing that I'm looking for? And you will understand me because I'll say it loudly and I'll say it clearly and mm. I'll say it slowly. Mm. And sometimes, um, sometimes I feel that the church can be a little bit like that. Mm. Um, if I keep saying it and I keep saying it loudly, you will understand. Mm. Uh, and then when you understand, then you'll start doing it and, uh, and your life's going to be better as a result. Mm-hmm. Um, we can be like foreigners trying to speak to people in a language they don't understand. Yes, when in fact we're often called to more creative ways of mm-hmm. um, sharing the faith. Mm. Perhaps, and, and still the same faith, it's mm. still the same belief, mm. but the ways in which we do it, we, we might be called to be shifting. Mm. And so, that, so it's happened with Vatican II, and so it's happened with um, celebrating Mass in um, languages other than Latin. Uh, so there's been various big steps church has taken in, in this area, I believe. Um, but a personal faith, we, we sometimes are wedded to the prayers that we were taught as children. Mm. And, and I've the retreat work I've done with a lot of priests from different countries, and really their faith development in their relationship with relationship with Jesus is still at a, a stage of when they were ten or eleven years old doing catechism. Like the same things are in place, and it hasn't actually shifted into an adult relationship. They are now adult people. Mm. And yet they're still relating to God as if they were a twelve-year-old boy, mm. um, and so that's where the, the the silent retreats are really useful because some of the guys were terrified; they'd never spent time alone like this. They needed mm. to say they were very, very faithful to saying mass and saying their rosary and saying their office, their morning and evening prayer, but not being quiet. Um, so all we did each day was have a uh, a joint celebration of Eucharist. But for the rest of the time, you were in silence. And so some were just terrified. But what was so um, uh, helpful was at the end, we always did an evaluation of these three-month programs. And so the, re- the retreats were six to eight days. But the retreat was 
almost always one of the highlights of the three months program over and over and even the ones who are most terrified about spending that quiet time mm-hmm. found it um, so fruitful and so deep and that's where you know as a spiritual director sitting and watching this happen with somebody in front of your eyes and heart is is such a privilege mm-hmm. wonderful to see mm-hmm. it's one of the um, I suppose basic premises of the uh, the work that uh, I guess we're both involved in in one way or another um, but uh, so you know, typically I work with adults these days. I um, I uh, moved on with you know, I, I used to work in secondary schools and things like that. And you get to the point where you feel like you're too old. <laughs> At least I did. It's like, oh no, I I, I can't think like a fourteen-year-old anymore. Yeah. I just can't do it. Yeah. Um, or even try to imagine their worldview, you know. Yeah. And uh, and so I'll leave that for other people. But. Um, so I started working with adults, and but what, and I found that exact point that um, the crisis that occurs uh, can be a beautiful crisis, but it is a crisis where yes. where the where the adult experiences something in 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 their lives in their life of faith, and they realise that the that the symbols and the understandings that they're trying to bring to bear on it is something that they learned. Mm. You know, sister told me in, in, in confirmation class, yes. you know, when <coughs> I was 11, yes. um, that it, this is the way it is. And uh, and here I am, I'm now 65, yeah. and you're telling me to expand that. Yeah. Well, but sister told me. <laughs> and um, and right. you're thinking, well, I'm not here to contradict sister. I'm sure she was a very holy woman. <laughs> but she was talking to 11-year-olds. Yes, she was, yeah. And uh, and trying to find a way to communicate to yes, them. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Not what she said was wrong. No. It was, uh, you know, even the imagery we use, the way we think about God, yeah. um, the way we talk about God, mm. we've developed for children, and it doesn't work for adults. No, that's correct. And so, mm. to try and help people move into an adult space, when a lot of that just takes sitting and trying to listen. And we're not so used to that across cultures. We're not mm. so used to that, really. Mm. Um, but certainly very, very, very fruitful with the guys. One of the interesting things linguistically, um, I have a, a very um, fond memory of working with a religious sister from mainland China, and we were working in English. And at some point in the retreat, she said, um, and uh, she was extending, so there was a... A passage in the Bible where Jesus was interacting with somebody and she was extending that interaction in her prayer and she said well then it goes on and and Jesus was saying this and then uh, the Pharisee was saying that and Jesus then said this and I said to her um, try and just go back to that moment what what language was Jesus speaking in and so she paused for a while and then she said Father Tim Jesus was speaking Mandarin. Jesus was speaking in Mandarin. He was speaking in Mandarin. So this was a huge insight for her. Like Jesus has always spoken in Mandarin to her. But because I stopped her and asked her, just a simple question, but then the realisation and the insight, she went out of that session on top of the world. She was so thrilled that, and of course Jesus speaks every language. Jesus speaks um, Spanish and Jesus speaks Swahili and Jesus speaks, if Jesus is really with us, the communication is going on, well, we're understanding it in a language that we understand, that we know. Mm. Um, I, 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 and I went out of that session feeling so delighted and so happy with this action of the Spirit that happens before me. It really beautiful, touches me quite deeply, those things. Um, mm. Yeah, language <coughs> and what we believed, she'd never actually thought about it and you know, here she was working with father in English and therefore it needed to be in English. 
Um, but no, no, it was definitely in Mandarin. Mm. And then expect uh, that that awareness, you know, that um, any any true encounter with God is going to ultimately leave it lead us outside um, our preconceived ideas. Mm. Um, I often think of that in relation to the, uh, the the story in the Gospels about the walking on the water, and um, and sort of thinking. Now, what's actually that about? Um, you know, as a as a sort of a, a an historical sort of phenomenon, it's sort of sort of interesting. You know, if Jesus could do that, and then Peter sort of after that. Um, but that has no relevance to my life. Mm. I, I I don't aspire to doing that. Mm. Um, whereas if I see it as, um, you know, we all live in this boat, this th- with these parameters. This way of doing, you know, this is a comfort zone. This is the the things that you know that I like and I know and I understand and I'm in charge of and I can decide where this boat's going to go uh, and and I'm going to keep dry in here and safe. Uh, and then the moment comes where Jesus says, "Get out of the boat. Yeah. Just leave behind those things. If you're really going to respond to me, then you've got to understand that there are going to be occasions in your life where I am calling you to somewhere." That you would rather not be, yeah. and into a way of understanding that you would rather not have to yes. deal with. Yeah. And, uh, There's a lot of uh, that's just chapter ten from yeah. Acts. You know, I recommend to people that they read chapter ten, where where exactly that happens, where where Peter and others are called out of the space that they've understood themselves, called into some space that brings that with them, but gives a broader understanding of themselves. So. After Peter has gone to the house of Cornelius in this chapter, uh, and f- for various reasons, um, he believes that the Holy Spirit is just as active in Cornelius and his family as that same Holy Spirit is active in Peter. So Peter goes ahead and baptizes Cornelius and his family. When he goes back to the community, they're really upset with him. But they say, you ate with the Gentiles. The fact that he baptised them seemed completely <laughs> secondary. <laughs> it was all about you ate with Gentiles, which you know, translated means you are not supposed to do that. A Jew does not do that. You've absolutely stepped beyond, you know. And, and here they are forming the first communities that are followers of Jesus. And he said, "Well, I've, I was absolutely drawn by the Spirit. It was the Spirit that drew me into this space." And that's that. I what I find quite exciting about this reading that it is the same Spirit that draws us all into new spaces. And then it can, if we do go, it can absolutely uh, expand our understanding of ourselves as a Christian person, as a real follower of Jesus. Mm. It's an exciting chapter, chapter ten. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody, look. Um, I think the way forward with this, you know, I often think, you know, what's, what, what's the practical takeaway with some of these conversations that we have? Um, and I think a, th- a regular theme throughout the four conversations that we've had, Tim, is, uh, is around the way that God works and God calls us forward. Mm. And, uh, and, some, and that's consoling and also confronting. And, uh, and how, it, you know, just living with the reality of that and um, not, not getting burdened by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, oh, you know, what am I doing, and how am I going to do it? And you know, but staying close to Christ, and uh, and trusting. Now, I often think, you know, with people, we don't have to convince God to uh, to be on our side. Um, God's just instinctively on our side. It's it's the way God works, mm-hmm. and uh, and will show us if we ask Him. 
you know, and uh, and I take con- great consolation in that. And I take great consolation in the fact that you've you've made this time available for us over these four sessions. Um, I really most appreciate it. Well, most that. welcome. Most welcome. Yeah. And uh, who knows? We may have to get you back at some stage, but uh, we'll give you a bit of a break <laughs> for a while. Wonder. Okay. <laughs> Thank but, you, Shane. But, um, but that's great. So, look, everybody, we're just going to have to deliver there for now. Um, get in touch uh, if you'd like to uh, with, the, with your thoughts and your questions and your responses. Uh, and the email address, as you know, is formation at bne.catholic.net.au. And I look forward to hearing from you. God bless everybody.